Now we're going to open our Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 6. If you have a Bible, please open to Luke 6. If you don't, you could take one out of the seats underneath one of the seats in front of you. We have some Bibles there for you as well, as long as, as well as what we're going to put on the stage up here on the screens for you to follow along. Uh, that's it. Today is day 21 of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. How many people say, woohoo? Yeah, <laughs> look at all you honest people. That's great. So I had someone message me the other day, and they're like, I'm going to be so excited when this fasting's over. You know, and I, was, I knew what they meant, you know, but it made me laugh. Uh, 21 days where we've encouraged people in different ways to fast and to pray and to seek the heart of God, not just for 21 days, but for the year. You know, one thing I want to encourage you with, like I said last week, um, it is not just for a moment. And if God hasn't spoken something clearly to you in the 21 days, or if you haven't necessarily seen the benefits that you've been hoping for, remember that the benefits that you see from continuing to seek God will happen over time. He is not about just an event. He's about a journey. Remember that. We're here on this planet for the time that we live in this world for a window of time that we live here. And God wants to walk with us each and every day. He's not just looking to give us something for a day and then we check in with him in 365 days later. It doesn't work that way. So I hope it's been encouraging for you. I've hoped you use this time to draw closer to God. I want to encourage you as we go into this year that if there's been moments that have really connected with you, make fasting part of your routine throughout your year. I know people that do it once a month or twice a month or specific meals or whatever. It's supposed to be part of our spiritual discipline to be people that fast, not just for a few weeks in January. Now, you know, I wouldn't want to do three weeks a month. That would be really hard. But there's nothing wrong, and I think it's super important for us to make sure across our year that maybe we interject times where we actually reconnect with God through fasting. That's why we gather in part on Sunday mornings as a church, because we have a, a, it's a journey, it's a routine, not in a negative sense, but it's a pattern that we just gather together to worship God. You know, we do the same things over and over again to build a rhythm on how it's supposed to look. So I want to encourage you to continue to be a part of that. I know that people are going to give testimonies from here moving on of things that God has done throughout the year because they were willing to draw a line in the sand in January and seek him and seek his heart. So I'm encouraged by that. Uh, We are in the last week of the series that I'm calling Thrive and how we can thrive in our relationship with God in 2018. That is like one of the main points that we're going to be talking about throughout the year. And if you remember back in week one, we talked about thriving means to actually live the kind of life that Jesus said that we're supposed to live, an abundant life, because he came to give us abundant living. To not live, an abundant living doesn't mean that we have everything that we ever hope, dream, or ask for in the physical. It means we get to know God, we get to know our purpose, and we get to live for him. That is a really awesome opportunity. And we want to thrive, and Christians are supposed to thrive. Jesus said you can't actually thrive in this world if he is not part of the equation. If he's not part, listen, this is so important. If people all across the world will live large... You may know people that have everything that they ever could have asked for in life, that they live, they live big and they enjoy all the things of the world. But the reality of it is, if Christ is not at the center of their life, everything that they live for one day will, will evaporate and it will be gone and it will have no eternal significance. So they'll have a moment, if you will, in the oceans of eternity. They may live a grain of sand of joy. 
or happiness and the rest of eternity will be empty and void because Jesus is not at the center. True abundant living doesn't mean, you know, saying no to everything of the world and just saying yes to Jesus so we live in poverty. And it doesn't mean that abundant living is that he gives us everything that we want. It means that we get to walk each and every day in a personal relationship with God. That he gets to speak to us. He wants to speak with us. He teaches us. He gives us peace when our hearts are anxious. Anybody experience anxiety in this room? Man, peace that passes understanding. That alone should be like the greatest marketing motto ever. You know, follow Christ and you can receive the peace that passes all understanding. Wow, what would it be like if that actually was the way that every one of us experienced God and lived? We live in a world where there's uncertainty, but there is power and there's certainty with Christ. Abundant living means that we can thrive. And we're going to thrive. How do we do it? We've got to focus. We've got to focus. Let's not be about doing everything. Let's be about doing the right things. And what are the right things? We've talked about two of them. We need to listen for God. You know, you can hear the voice of God. This is a repeat for many of us, but I'm saying it again because, you know, I leak. I drain, you know, the stuff out of me that God pours into me. I, I, I leak. And, and there's always a leak in me. I don't like leaks, you know, like plumbers. You know what I'm talking about? Like leaky faucets and leaky pipes, and they make messes. But humans leak. All the good stuff that God puts in us, we might be like, I feel great. And then two days later, we're like, where'd it all go? Because we leak. So we need to hear it again. We need to listen for God. We need to hear his voice. Can you hear the voice of God? That was two weeks ago. Last week, we turned about, talked about learning from God. Knowing what God is speaking to us is important, but understanding how to understand his word and how to read his word and what he's trying to teach us through the power of the word. This is the most important tool and resource in the history of the world. The Bible is the most important, I'll say it again, tool and resource in the history of the world because it communicates the heart of God to his creation. It teaches us how to live rightly and justly and how to know the one who is desperately wanting to be in intimate relationship with us. So much that he sends his son to bridge the gap, the gap that we could never bridge on our own. We need to be able to learn from God and know what his word says. And if we don't spend time in his word and we don't read his word, and we don't let the word, like last week when we talked about Psalm 1, the meditation of God's word, Remember how we had to mix it up and stir it up as you're meditating on the word of God? If you don't let that get into your head and soak so that it can transfer to your heart and your hands, it's just information and knowledge. And knowledge puffs up, the Bible says. But we need the truth of God, the wisdom of God to transform us. That's why learning is so important. Here's the deal. If all we do is try to listen and we experience God in our hearing... If all we do is is read the Bible and we have a greater understanding of who God is, and that's as far as we go, our faith will never grow. You could say, what are you talking about? I mean, I could hear from God. Yes, you can hear from God and your life could never change. Do you know that that's possible? You can hear from God and it doesn't mean your life is going to change. You could open up his word and he could, through the power of his Holy Spirit, plant something so deep in your heart that it wrecks you in that moment that you say, I never saw that before. God, I never saw that before. And can I tell you, it could not, it doesn't necessarily have to change your life. People can hear from God 
and they can learn from his word and it still doesn't have to grow their faith because it's missing one thing. It's missing the last thing we're going to talk about and I want to illustrate it through this. How many of you have wondered what this is? Anybody? So here we go. Here we go. We're going to challenge. Does anybody know what that is? So if you know what that is, just raise your hand. I'm wondering how many people know what we're talking about. I'm going to move this out of the way so you can see a little what we're looking at here. So, so any, any, you know, yeah, th- this is a big ice cream cone, right? No, I'm just kidding. No, this is a vehicle's transmission. It's a transmission. How many of you got it right? You knew it was a transmission. Okay, we had a couple people. The rest of you weren't sure. But it's a transmission, okay? It's a rear-wheel drive transmission, okay? So, and, you know, it weighs about 400 pounds, you know, so it's a pretty nice thing. So... <laughs> Well, when they're full, they weigh like three or 400 pounds, not that one. Okay, but this is a transmission. Why am I showing you the transmission? Here's why. Every one of you that came to church this morning came in a car, I would think. Except for Becky, you walked in the rain. Everybody came in a car. Every one of your cars has a transmission. And this is why it's important. Because the engine may be the power plant, but the transmission is the thing that transfers the power to the wheels. And if you don't have a car with a transmission, you're going to sit in your driveway and you're going to rev that engine up and you're going to put it in gear and you ain't going nowhere. You ever sit at a light and just rev your engine with somebody? You know, like how they do, you know, like when they want to race and they sit there. I know some of you do this. I know some of you do this now. Any of you know what I'm talking about? You sit at a light and you just rev your engine. You're like, look what I got. And this is what people are doing. Ultimately, At some point, when the light turns green, you got to put the car in drive, right? And when you put it in drive, this wakes up and says, here we go. And all the power from the engine goes through the transmission, goes to the wheels, and away you go. Nobody wants to buy a car without a transmission. I've been looking on Craigslist for cars the last couple of months. I I laughed with one of the posts I saw a couple weeks ago. Cracked me up. Nice-looking car. Guys like beautiful, great condition, great low miles. Everything looks great. You'll love this car. It doesn't have a transmission. That's what he wrote. And he took the value of the car from where it was supposed to be and crushed it and made it like next to nothing, you know, because it's expensive to repair or replace one of these expensive. Why am I showing you this? I'm showing you this because this is like a word picture of what faith needs to have in order to have power. We can hear God's voice and it's like pouring gas in the tank and starting the motor. We can hear from his word and learn from his word and it stirs something up in us and it's like we're revving that engine. We are revving that engine. And God's saying, look at the power. Look at the high octane truth I'm putting into your life. Look at the word that I'm pouring into. And your life is just bubbling. It's like you can't sit still because God's doing something in your heart. And it's only when we do number three, which is live it out, where we actually take what God's put in our hearts and do something with it, that the power gets transferred to our feet. With me? That's what this is about. People, I hear it all the time over the years, and I've been guilty of it as well so many times. You know, I just, I'm just struggling, you know, with what I believe in my faith. I don't feel like God's close to me right now. Okay, are you in his word? You know, I am, and I, I hear there's stuff here, and, and God's speaking to me about some things. Okay, are you listening? Yeah, I'm listening. What are you doing with what he is speaking to you about? And many times, that's where it falls short. 
because we get stuck in the learning and the knowing and the hearing and we get lost when we get to the doing. God has not created his church to be filled with understanding so that we can keep it to ourselves. Hear me this morning? He doesn't want us to keep the truth to ourselves. He doesn't want us to hear what he speaks to us so that it changes us in some way just in our minds and then we don't actually live it with our lives. No, our feet, if you will, are like the tires of truth. Our feet need power. And the only way our feet get the power is when we say, God, I'm available. I've listened, I've learned, and now I'm ready to live. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about learning to live. Because the world needs to know that our faith is not something we just know in our head. It's something that we live through our lives. Karl Marx said this about religion. Religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature. The heart of a heartless world. The soul of a soulless conditions. It is the opium of the people. What he's basically saying here is that religion is a crutch and it provides temporary relief so people don't have to dwell in their hopelessness. That's an opinion of one man who hasn't really experienced God. But can I tell you, there are people all across our world, maybe in our neighborhoods, maybe in our workplaces, maybe in our churches, that believe the same thing about religion. You know, I grew up in the church, they say, or I know people that have known, you know, Christianity and they came, but you know, I just kind of got bored at church and is it really real or is it just, you know, something that pacifies people and in the midst of their heartache, it makes them feel good about something for a little bit so they can continue to live on in oppression. This is what the world thinks many times of Christianity. It's just another opiate. It's just another drug to numb the pain of the oppression of this world. It gives us hope, even though at the end of our lives there's probably nothing. Religion kind of gives us this hope. Why? Because everyone in the world wonders if there's life after death, and religion fills that gap to make us feel good about ourselves. And people justify this, and they say these kinds of things. Can I tell you, it is not true. Christianity, God's word, Jesus coming to earth, he didn't die so that we could look at his, at his empty cross and the empty tomb and say, now we're going to give an opiate to the people of the world. No, he died so that we could help deliver through our example the transforming power of life with Jesus Christ. That's why he died. He died so that he could fill us with knowledge, understanding, hear his voice, and then we could go and be, what did he say? You are the light of the world. You are the what? Salt of the earth. What is he saying? Influence everyone around you through the hope of Christ. And that's like taking the truth of God and the power of God and transferring it to our feet. We can't rev our engines and expect to experience a transformational life with Christ. And yet many times we can find ourselves guilty of that where we fill, but we don't do. We fill, but we don't do. And when we get to that place, we find ourselves losing the life that Jesus intended us to live. You know what churches are the most 
passionate, life-giving churches. And this is not just statistically true. It goes all the way across the globe. The kinds of churches that are the most life-giving churches are the churches that are inviting people and the churches that are seeing people come to Jesus are the most passionate followers of Christ because they aren't just coming to hear. They're going out. They're inviting people. They're looking for those who don't know Christ. They're bringing them through the doors and they are walking alongside them. And you see people get saved, get delivered. Like Pastor Matt said, get healed of their infirmities, get healed of their emotional abuse from their years, change their life. And when things begin to change and you see new life that happens through those people, it invigorates those that were a part of it. Churches that don't invest, churches that don't invite people die. They die numerically and they die mentally or emotionally. They lose not just their own excitement for the faith, but they jeopardize their children's experience for the faith. You got to hear this. This is super important. If we're not investing in people that don't know Christ, if you're not inviting people to be a part of, of your spiritual walk and having them come to church, you are in jeopardy of teaching the next generation that it's all about filling your head with knowledge. It's all about serving on a Sunday morning. It's all about going to these events and never showing them the doing part. The doing part is what gives them true life. If there's no doing in that, you're going to teach them just to rev their their engines and they'll never make any progress. And we wonder why people walk away from the church. They don't walk away from the church in the United States because there's lack of information. We have more information in our country in Christianity than we've ever had in the history of the world. The issue is what we do with it, not what we know. We need to learn to invest. We need to learn to live it out. Live it out. Or as a question I have this morning is what happens when we put feet to our faith? What happens when we put feet to our faith? You know, the writer of James says that faith without works is dead. You know that, right? Some of you know. Faith without works is dead. So if we say we believe it, we've got to back it up with what we do. And if we don't back it up with what we do, are we genuinely practicing faith? We need to be people of action. And in the Bible, action doesn't just mean doing stuff. It means obeying God. Action equals obedience in Scripture. What we do is important, but we need to make sure that the one that we are doing it for and the one who's leading the way is Jesus himself. Otherwise, we're just doing stuff. We need to do what God is calling us to do. And Jesus talks about what it looks like for the people that choose obedience and action in Luke chapter 6, beginning in verses 47 to 49. I'm going to show this with you this morning, just for, show this to you for a few minutes. I will show you, he says, what it's like when somebody comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Just right there, verse 47. I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It's like the person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. Verse 49. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground. Without a foundation, when the floods sweep down against the house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. If we want our faith to be built and to be strong, we need to obey. We need to obey not just what Jesus says, but what he challenges us to do. You know, to be a good student 
A good follower of Christ means to hear his word and to actually do what he's asking us to do. Now, you may be here this morning to say, okay, I understand that. You've heard that before. Maybe we've said that many times before. Um, Maybe there's still a disconnect because I struggle with it. I struggle with, okay, if God, you're calling me to do this, or you're asking me to do that, sometimes he puts things on my mind, or sometimes through his word, he, he shows me things that I go, yes, yes, I need to be about that. And then there are other times I see it and I go, no, no, I don't want to do that. You know, when you get to the passages of like forgiveness, right? You need to forgive. You need to love your enemies. What? Are you crazy? Do you know what they did, God? Yeah, I'm God. I'm king of the universe. I know what they did. But, but it says I need to do this. Are you crazy? I can't do this. You don't know what happened to me. No, no, no. And he just looks at me, you know, and he never looks at me with condemnation. He doesn't look at you with condemnation. He just says, I'm going to show you how to do this, but you've got to be willing to follow me. And it's hard to do it sometimes. Here's how it becomes easier. There's three things we should remember if we want to live it out, live our faith out. I think it makes it easier for us to live it out when we follow and remember these three things. Number one, Jesus is the architect. He knows the plan. You've got to be able to know this and believe this and trust this. He uses this illustration of two different people that build their house on a foundation that's rock and people that build their foundation on sand. We need to remember before anything else, that if we're going to serve and live a life that, is, that our faith is supposed to be supported by, if we're, our faith is going to demonstrate action, that Jesus is the architect. He knows the plan. What is the plan? You are the plan. Our nursery at Bridge has been called Blueprints for years. Why? Because every one of us is born with a blueprint a fingerprint that God put on each one of us that makes us unique. Scriptures tell us that before we were ever born, he knew us. Before I was ever born, he he saw my whole life ahead of me before I was ever born. He knows my giftings. He knows my personalities. He knows what I struggle with and what I'm going to be passionate about. Can I tell you? He knows my purpose. He knows how I have been created and what I've been created for. He knows the plan. Why? Because he created us, Genesis 127 says, in his image. We're created to know God. You are created today to know God. He created you in his image to know him. And when we know God, it's like knowing the architect. And the architect knows all the behind-the-scenes stuff as to why things happen and why things go right and why things go wrong. We've done two different building projects on this site since I've been a part of Bridge. And each time when people come through the doors and they say, I don't remember, why did we do this or why did we do that? Many times we'll open up the old sketch and the plan or we can call the architect and say, you built it. Help us understand why it works this way. Well, let me explain it to you. And then they show you exactly why it works the way that it works. You are a blueprint, guys. I'm a blueprint. God knows how he made you and how he made me. So often I think that I'm the architect of my life. I wonder if you ever feel like you need to be the architect of your life. Nobody knows you better than you know you, says every motivational speaker on the planet. Except Jesus. Except Jesus. 
Nobody knows you better than you know you. No, Jesus knows me better than I know me. He's the architect. He knows what I want, but can I tell you this is even so, so, so much more important. He knows what I need. He knows what gives me purpose. He knows what gives me life. This is so important for us to understand. Why? In Ephesians 2.10, he says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew. Look, in Christ Jesus. You see that? That's not a parenthetical thought. In Christ Jesus. We've been created new in Christ. It's important for us to begin with Christ so that we can do the good things he planned for us. Look, long ago. He already laid the plan out long ago and said, Now that you're in Christ you are going to experience a full life if you choose to hear me and to obey me. And it's so powerful for us to know this. What does it look like? I I read a book last year, which I thought was a really awesome book. And uh, the writer broke out the three different things that I think all of us probably struggle with at different points in our life. He talked about vocation versus career and versus a job. And I think this was really powerful. The vocation is the thing that we all really need to know about ourselves more than anything else. And the vocation basically asks the question, what gives me life? What gives me life in this world? What are we created to do? It's part of identifying and discovering our purpose. What is it that you've been created to do? What gives you life? Like if everything else was stripped away, this still is the thing that you would want to be about. The career says what role allows me to do it. And there are lots of different roles that people can take to accomplish that vocation. The job is the task associated with the career. Case in point, the vocation, what gives me life? There are people in this world that their vocation is they want to be able to see people well. They want people to feel like they have the ability to be healed. They want people to be healed and they'll get up every day of their life with this passion in their heart to say, I want to see people healed. I want people who are hurting to receive healing. And every day of their life, that's what they're passionate about. That's their vocation. What's their career? Well, it could be one of many things. You could become a physician and help people become well. You could become a pastor and help people become well. You could become a social worker and help people become well. See where I'm going with this? There's so many different ways that you can do that, but they all will point to the same vocation. The same vocation is healing is the thing that matters to me. The career is what is the job. I'm sorry, the career is what it is that allows you to get to the vocation. The job are all of the tasks associated with the career. I'm sharing this with you because we ask the question backwards as we're growing up. When our kids are younger, we don't say, what gives you life? What do we ask them when they get close to high school and graduation? We say, what do you want to do? And that is the job. It's not even the career. And it's definitely not the vocation. We're not talking about what gives them life. So we spend all of this time just looking at what they're good at. We spoke with friends last yesterday. We were able to see some friends that spent a year in China working in an orphanage this past year. They quit their job. The husband quit his job, and the whole family of four moved over to China. And for a year, they lived in an orphanage helping children. And we were talking about the process and how these kids grow up and how they train these kids in, in China for their futures. And they said it's all based on test scores. 
It's all based on test scores. All they're trying to understand when these kids take the test is figure out what do they have the aptitude for? What are they good at? And they said one of the people that they interacted with in the orphanage said in all the years that they've been in the orphanage, he's never met a student in China that liked the career that they were in because they were in it simply because a test said they were good at it. Doesn't that sound like tragedy? Doesn't that sound like a tragedy? We live in the United States of America where opportunity is in front of us, plentiful, where any of our kids, any of us today, you can be, Colonel Sanders was in his mid-50s when he started Kentucky Fried Chicken. You guys know that? That old dude in the, you know, with the beard, he was in his mid-50s when he started KFC. We have people in their 30s thinking their life is over because they didn't figure it out by the time they were 22 years old. That is nonsense. Can I tell you, God's purpose for you never ends and never fails. And you either spend your life developing and honing to find that purpose, or you spend your life frustrated, wondering why I can't fulfill the thing that always seems to elude me. Jesus is the architect. And this is the beauty of it. I think about it and I go, this is the beauty of it. If you trust the architect because he knows the plan, he'll show you how to get there. You've got to be willing to trust the architect. If you think you're the architect, you'll try to figure it out. And in the process of trying to figure it out, you might make a whole lot of boo-boos. That doesn't mean we sit idle back with our arms open and say, God, do what you're going to do. No, it means trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. That's what the scripture means. You've got to be willing to trust the architect because he knows the plan. Second thing in obeying the Lord is recognize this, that Jesus isn't just the architect. Jesus is the foreman. He's the foreman. He knows the position. He knows the role that he needs you to fulfill at this point. He knows, remember what I said, he doesn't just know what you want. He knows what you need. He knows who you are and he knows how he's created you to be. It is not just doing the work around us that brings the spiritual results of an abundant life, church. It's doing Jesus' work in the right time, in the right way, that brings the fruit of what God wants us to accomplish. I spent 14 years in corporate America, and my heart was aching for all of those, second half especially of those years, when people would say, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? And I'd say, I want to be in sales training. I want to be in leadership training. I want to be, and people would look at me, and they're like, you're a finance guy. You're a data operations guy. Your history says you do this, 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 this. You need to, no, you can't do that because you're not in that track. Here's the track that you have to stay in. And I'd say, no, I don't want to sit here and analyze numbers anymore. Sure, I had a love affair with spreadsheets for many years. And some of you know that. And that's the reality because spreadsheets can be your friend and that's okay. But that's not where I wanted to live. I wanted to do something different. I wanted to be able to relate with people and have conversations and say, I don't want to be stuck in the details all the time. I want to do this. And they'd be like, nope, you can't do it. And then God opens doors and says, I want you to go back to school. And I was like, okay, that sounds like fun. So for three years, go to seminary and work 20 hours in corporate and 30 hours in church and go to school full time when you have a one-year-old baby and a five-year-old and a seven-year-old and a 19-year-old. Right, Pastor Nick? (laughs) Oh, that's fun. That's good, God, thanks. Stay up till two in the morning and write papers for three years. It's great. Thanks, God. Love that. It's great. Do it. It's hard. Yeah, It's going to cost tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, I understand. 
Just do it. But God, that's hard. I don't want to do that. Who would have thought years later? I'm not saying life is great. Certainly it's not. But I look at it and go, how many people did I work with in corporate that said I couldn't stand before 10 people or eight people for leadership training and to see what God has let me do over the years in different measures? You know, Terry, I think about, you know, uh, the graduation a few years ago when we spoke over at Family Worship Center with 800 people sitting there. And I remember going, why do I even have the opportunity to do this? God said, I called you to do something. You've got to walk it out. Or a few years after taking this role, my heartbeat was to go overseas and to do something. I say, I want to start traveling overseas and help other people because three years of seminary training in the United States, there are people in other areas of the world that won't even have a moment to have an opportunity to know the word of God the way that we have these beautiful gifts and resources. They won't even have a class opportunity. And I go, God, can I take something in my infancy, still saying, like, I only know this, like, you know, like a toddler. You know, when I show up to help people, I'll show up with a sippy cup, you know, and I'm not going to be able to bring them this deep depth. I'll give them what I have, though. And the Lord told me years ago, this is in 2009, write a whole series out in the book of Acts, and I want you to do a whole series in the book of Acts. So we went through the book of Acts, and I remember sitting here um, in, my, in my, my dining room in 2009 when Brian and Janine Weaver came. And we were having lunch in my, in my um, living room after church one Sunday saying, my heartbeat is just, I want to do stuff and I want to go overseas and I want to help other people. If I could do that as God allows. And he said, we just had a cancellation in our Bible school two weeks ago. And I haven't been able to find someone to fill that spot. Do you have anything that you could teach? And I said, yeah, I could teach the book of Acts. And he went, that would be awesome. Six weeks later, no, I'm sorry, four weeks later, I was on a plane to London, to Dar Salaam, to Matwara, and spent 10 days teaching in a Bible school just because I did the work that God asked me to do earlier. Can I tell you, sometimes he's asking us to do things that don't make sense. And it's not because he's trying to hurt your feelings and he's not trying to make me feel less of a person. He's doing it because he knows what we need and the work that we need to do to allow us to receive the abundant life that he's promised. You with me? You hear me today? So, so, so important. Are you guys with us? Ephesians 4, 16. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. What a great scripture to remind us of the need for us, not just to do, but to do what we do well. Do it well. Can I tell you, there are some times in our lives that we are willing to do for God, but we don't do well for God. And if we're not willing to give it well, why would we expect God to multiply that? If you're a musician and you want to give your gifts to Jesus and you don't practice, you are never, and I mean it, never going to be used as God would want you to be used. Just because I've played the guitar for 25 years, it doesn't mean I ever graduated from the second grade in learning. I can keep doing the same thing over and over again for 23 years. If you're a musician, if you're on our worship team, if you play in other venues and God has put a gift in your heart to do it, develop it. 
Use it. Be excellent about it. Don't bring God scraps. Bring God excellence. If you're a teacher and you've been teaching and only only opportunity God has given you is to teach our six, our six-year-olds or our five-year-olds to you know draw this and to fill this in, don't look at it and go, well, my heart is really hungry one day. I want to I want to reach young people and I want to do this, but but right now I'm just doing this thing. And if you barely show up on time, or if you're scrambling late all the time and fumbling through your paperwork 10 minutes before church starts, do you think for a moment God's going to entrust you to something greater if you don't work with excellence? Everything he has called you to be, you be excellent at it. Not because excellent is the measurement. And if you're not excellent, and excellent doesn't mean perfection. He just says, whatever I give you, do the best that you can do with it. That's all he's asking. And your best is going to be different than somebody else's best. And can I tell you the areas that, this is how you know what your purposes are in, in some small ways. The areas that you are super passionate about, you want to be excellent in. I'm telling you, you do. You want to be excellent. And when you see other people in those areas that are not passionate, it drives you crazy. Because you go, how could you not give your best? How can you show up with dirty clothes? You know, we used to tell our, our, our college students years ago, okay, that would come like to do internships and like help out in the church. And we're talking many years ago. Hey, I love you. You don't have to look fancy or anything when you come in, but don't look like you're rolled out of bed. Don't. We had some people come in. They're like, I want to love Jesus. And I was like, did you comb your hair? Did you shower? Oh, dude, I was running late tonight. I'm like, did you stay up till 3 a.m. watching something stupid? Oh, yeah, maybe. I did, maybe. You love Jesus? Come on, you wouldn't do that. You get fired if you did that in the real world long term, right? But it's okay to do it in the church. No, God says, do the work because I'm the foreman. And the foreman, you hear me? You with me today? Come on. The foreman is going to show you what to do. And then he's going to say, how well are you going to do it? Because the better you are at doing the things he asks you to do, the more he's going to promote you, the more he's going to give you the opportunity to experience an abundant life. So important. The last thing I want to mention is that he's not just the architect and he's not just the foreman. And this can be the hardest one to hear, but Jesus is also the building inspector. He's the building inspector. He doesn't just call us to do the work. He knows the process. He knows what it needs to look like. And he comes to you and he says, here's the work that I'm asking you to do for me. You did okay here, but we need to develop this over here. This, this doesn't look right. I love you, and, and, and this is the part that we really can struggle with. If God's calling you to grow in an area because he wants to raise you to a place of leadership, you'll never be able to grow to that level of leadership if your character doesn't lead the way. So the things in our lives that are sinful or the things in our lives that aren't yet broken enough We can become too in love with the idea of serving God in a position of prominence, but we don't give God the freedom to break us and to remold us. Are you with me? Like you heard what I'm saying about this? Super, super important. He is the building inspector and he doesn't walk around, okay? Traditional building inspectors, right? If you're a building inspector this morning, I love you, but this is the stereotype that you all have, okay? Everybody walks around, you go through the building. When we had our building renovated, they come through with their clipboards, right? And what do they do? Is this done right? Yep, yep, yep. Nope, 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 nope. Yep, yep, yep. Nope, nope. And this is what they do. So what do you want to do? You want to hire good quality contractors so that they do the right work. 
My dad always tells a story. One of my cousins, when he built his house in the early 80s, the building inspector came into the house in a walk-in basement, and he looked at the walk-in basement, and he was coming to do the electrical inspection. He came in, and he walked into the basement, and he spent five minutes in the basement, and he looked around, and he said, okay, I'm done. And they said, you don't want to look through the rest of the house? What he saw was an electrician that ran everything right-angled everywhere. It looked like the whole basement looked like a printed circuit board. Everything was like a printed circuit board. And he said, if this is what he did in the basement, I don't need to look at the rest of the house. There's not going to be a problem with this job. And he walked out. Jesus is our building inspector. He wants you to know that he's called you. And he uses the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. He's the spirit of truth, the Bible says. He's a spirit of truth. He wants us to walk in truth. And before we want to dive ahead and jump into positions of responsibility and authority and prominence, he says, you got to go through the building inspector. And the building inspector is going to look at our character. The building inspector is going to look at our brokenness. The building inspector is going to look at our sinfulness. The building inspector is going to look at our level of humility and our faithfulness to do the things that he's called us to do. And he's going to ask us if we're doing it to the best of our ability or if we just kind of do it half-hearted. If we want to experience an abundant life, we need to submit our lives to the work of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Paul says, So all of us who have had that veil removed, and he's talking to believers, to Christians, who could no longer, who once couldn't see, but when Christ enters our lives, the veil is removed, which means we can see the truth. That's what he's saying. Once we've had the veil removed, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. It means we don't just see God, but we're supposed to look like God. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. That's the process of abundant life right there, friends. That's it right there in a nutshell. To allow Jesus to transform us through the power of the Holy Spirit each and every day, letting the building inspector subject our lives to his correction. So be honest, easy or hard? Hard. It's hard sometimes. But if we only dwell on the pain and we don't look at why he wants to do it, we're less willing to subject ourselves to those things. Can I tell you, if you're willing to subject yourselves, if you're willing to walk through the hard times, if you're willing to say, this is going to hurt, but it's better on the other side, let God work you through that struggle so that you can, you can receive the abundant life that he has for each of you to receive. Pastor Matt, if you guys can come as we get ready to close in just a few moments. I want to just give you a brief illustration and ask you to participate in this with me as they get ready to close this morning. Now, you've been sitting for some time. And, and we all could use a stretch for a little bit, right? So just stand up with me just for a moment if you can. Just stand up for a moment. It feels good. Okay. Good. It feels good to stand up a little bit, right? Okay. If you could all just sit down again just for a moment, that would be good. And now I want you to do this. I want you to take your hands and I want you to put your hands together. You don't have to pray. Put your hands together. And I want you, okay, just to take a few moments and I want you to press 
each hand against each other as hard as you can and do it until I tell you to stop. Just do it as hard as you can. Now, if you're going to end up in the hospital, don't do this. But just press as hard as you can. Okay, now relax. Now stop. Okay, now I want you to do it again. Ready? I'm going to count to ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Can you do it? Eight, nine, ten. Okay, let it go. I won't ask you to do it again, but I have a question for you. I wonder how many of us would say right now that our muscles feel more relaxed after the exercise than before. That's the way God has wired us. We stretch. We do the work. We let God change us. We let God transform us and we exert the energy he asks us to exert so that when we stop, we recognize there's rest on the other side. Go to the gym. Work out hard. And aside from the soreness, people sleep better after a good workout than before. Why? Because your body is exercising. Your muscles are being stretched. God always wants us to be in a place where we're willing to do for him. That he needs to be the architect in our lives. He needs to be the foreman to be able to identify the work. And he needs to be allowed to be the building inspector to change us as we're not walking the way that he asks us to walk. Can I ask you this morning, if you're here this morning and you're struggling with purpose, you're struggling with maybe God, what's the next step for me? And I, I'm just wrestling with, you know, where is the next place you want me to go? Or what's the next job? Or, or how do I handle my family? Or whatever is going on. The thing in front of you, it just seems like a big what. Don't think about the big picture. Simply look at him today and say, what do you want me to do today? So I can trust you in that step. Because when we trust God with the small steps, he leads us to the journey. I mean, he leads us to the destination. Does it make sense? Let's stop looking always at the what is the big picture thing. And let's just look at what does God require of me today? Can we trust him to be the the plan holder, the building architect? Can we trust him? to show us what work we need to do. Not just so that we get what we want, but we get what we need. And can we allow him through the presence of his Holy Spirit to correct the things in us that need to be corrected so that when we do walk, we're realizing more of our purpose. If you would take a moment again and stand as we bow our heads and say a moment of prayer, I'm going to invite the worship team to sing this last song. And I just want to encourage you to take a few moments and ask these questions as they sing this song. Father, may our hearts be open to you. May our lives be surrendered to you. And may we not just want to survive, but may we choose to thrive by pursuing you and how we listen and how we learn and how we live.